Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you so much for joining us today. It was a pleasure seeing you, whether you're uh, joining us live or later on in the archives on uh, Odyssey or uh, BitChute. Maybe you're tuning in on the websites, redice.tv or redicemembers.com. Shout out to all our members, as usual, of course. Thank you for joining us. Uh, we are doing an interview today, and I think I still might do no-go zone after this, though, but we have an important show for you guys. We want to give you guys an update on uh, Charlottesville. On uh, basically what happened during the day a little bit, but we're also going to talk about the court cases because they are coming up. And of course, with us today to do that, we have Jason Kessler. Good to see you again, Jason. It was a while ago. How are you doing? Hey, I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on. You bet. You bet. Lots to get into. And I kind of I'll leave it up to you in terms of where to, where you would like to begin, because I gather that you have uh, as you've been part of these court cases and things like that. And tell us, you know, are, are there multiple what's happening with those? We'll get into that. But have, have you gotten any more clarity on, on what happened on the day of? Because that's obviously very <laughs> been the most tumultuous thing for most people that both were there, but also from the outside. Look, if you just look, looked at this. Uh, in the media, as with most things these days, you're not going to get an accurate uh, description. You're not going to get an af accurate reflection of what actually happened that day. So is there, I'm not sure if you want to do this, but is there a way you can like summarize to us kind of what, what you see happened uh, on that day in August 2017? So the essential elements are that um, there was a black supremacist city councilor named Wes Bellamy who'd made a lot of uh, racist statements about white people that made it his mission to tear down a statue to Robert E. Lee in downtown Charlottesville. Uh, I saw this as being a part of a larger attack on white people in our history. And so I uh, got a permit for a, a rally, which was to feature a number of speakers with um, what was then the alt-right movement that were going to speak in support of American history and uh, white civil rights and that kind of thing. Uh, the city tried to cancel the permit, and with the help of the ACLU, I was able to beat them in federal court and get that permit reinstated. Uh, we thought everything was going to be good. The police had a duty to protect us, but it turned out that uh, it, it became a trap uh, because the police stood down while these uh, really uh, extreme uh, anarchists and BLM militants attacked the event. Uh, while this was going on, and we know this because of an independent review that was actually conducted by the city itself, the police chief told his subordinates, let them fight. It will make it easier to declare an unlawful assembly. And so that's exactly what they did. The Charlottesville police didn't even show up until uh, long after Antifa had been attacking the demonstrators using tear gas, clubs, um, uh, improvised flamethrowers, all kinds of weapons. Then they pushed the alt-right protesters out of the park into the Antifa, which really uh, exploded the violence even yeah. further. Yeah. So um, that is what happened at the af at the actual event itself. Yeah, so it was instigated violence. It was. Uh, how would you frame that? Was that, uh, in your view, hindsight being twenty twenty, the intention? We we've heard a lot of rumors, and it's still somewhat difficult to confirm. But you know, we heard that there was a lot of, of course, intelligence that day. Probably a lot of feds, FBI agents, and things like that. Maybe, maybe even part of some of the groups. We you know, these are some of the things we're still speculating at. But regardless, being just actually there, maybe maybe not even as undercover, they were there. They wanted to instigate violence because. I don't know how you would frame that, but 
do you think that was part of the whole like anti-Trump thing as well that we have to try to associate these people with Trump and these people they're, they're, these are all the bad people that showed up and we need some kind of event uh, we need something to you know turn it into violence or something so we can then hinge it or blaming on Trump I'm not saying it's all about Trump but I'm sure that's kind of part of what the establishment were uh, viewing this at the time but what do you see yeah, I think that that's absolutely a part of it. I think that regardless of whether there was any violence or not, the event was supposed to be turned into a psyop by the media, essentially, where they were going to use it as a cudgel to attack the right and Trump specifically. And we've seen that with subsequent events like January 6th, yes. where uh, even just one person who uh, has, quote unquote, bad optics or is an anomaly like uh, at uh, Charlottesville, we had a guy, uh, a random guy with a swastika flag <laughs> that no one seemed to know. With a, with a crease on still on the, on the flag, Jason, right? The, the, his Amazon basic uh, Nazi flag pack was just <laughs> unfolded, you know, five minutes before, basically, right? Yeah. And he became representative of the event. Right. Not only that, there was a totally separate event, not Charlottesville, August 12th, where the Ku Klux Klan came in their Hollywood robes and everything. And probably 50 percent or more of the mainstream media articles about Charlottesville showed people in those Klan That's robes, right. yeah. which wasn't our event. Yeah. But they used that as a psyop. It's very similar to it, with January 6th, how you had the one guy with the Camp Auschwitz shirt who became one of the faces of that event for the media. Yeah, that's right. Uh, and of course, uh, again, coincidentally here, uh, just a couple of days, what is it, a week, maybe even less ago now, uh, the uh, the statue did uh, did come down, right? There was a lot of controversy around this. They, for a while it was covered up, I know, then they took down, they had some just black tarp around it or whatever, then they took that off or whatever. Uh, what, what, what do you feel about seeing this? I mean, again, it's, a, what is it, four, four years later now, there's been court yeah. cases back and forth and all that stuff. And of course, again, a, a lot of the people that went, went to Charlottesville that day, this is it was not only I feel uh, about the, the Robert E. Lee statue it was an overarching thing that you're going to see. It, it doesn't stop with, you know, Robert E. Lee. Right. This can, this going to continue to statue after statue after statue. And I'd say, Jason, after 2020 and all the crazy BLM Antifa riots that we've seen, uh, the people that went there have kind of been vindicated. As we said, like, yeah, we, we told you this was going to happen. And we've seen myriads of statues all around the U.S., even in the U.K. that have been coming down. Right. Yeah, I think so. Absolutely. And if you recall, we actually had a torch vigil on August 11th, the day earlier, which was to the Thomas Jefferson Monument at the UVA Rotunda. And that event was attacked by Antifa as well. You had extremely violent people from Philly Antifa. You had um, a uh, convicted domestic terrorist, Brent Betterly, with them. You had a guy, Paul Minton, from Philly Antifa, who's been convicted of disposing of the dead bodies of murder victims. These weren't uh, peaceful protesters as uh, the media has portrayed it. But yeah, that part of the concept for the Unite the Right rally for me was that I saw that it, uh, the tearing down of our history and the attack on European American history in particular seemed to be like a, a frog slowly boiling in water. And I saw where it was going. I saw that they were attacking Robert E. Lee in New Orleans, for instance, and then they were moving on to George Washington and the other founding fathers. And I wanted to point that out and get ahead of the game. And um, it, it, it's a shame about the Robert E. Lee monument in Charlottesville coming down, but 
isn't it amazing that with all the statues that were torn down during the BLM and Antifa riots of 2020, that statue made it through that summer, True. which is basically because of the judicial activism of groups that were suing to say, no, you can't tear down this statue. So there was actually a judicial order uh, saying, no, this is illegal. And so they were afraid to tear down that statue in a way that they weren't afraid to tear down other statues. And, and finally, yeah. I would just say that to the protesters who went to Charlottesville, don't blame yourself for that statue coming down. They, As we saw with these riots, they were going to tear down these statues either way. Yeah. At least we got ahead of the game and called them out for what they were doing what, what was it was it 2016 the first time you heard about uh some a group trying to take that particular robert e lee statue down in charlottesville yeah i believe that was the time yeah uh and i think it, i even had a clip in here one of the activists who were behind it was was speaking uh, let me see if i can find her right here she was so happy and of course and they and they said that too that this is it's not going to end with this uh it's just a small step in their view right i think everything anything that is uh, in some way significant of uh, European-American achievements are going to be attacked. It's going to be torn down. It has to be replaced and all that kind of stuff. And again, hindsight, regardless of what happened that day, I think people that that, that understood where this was going have been, have been vindicated. And, and I think a lot of maybe, and I don't know if this is true, but if we talk about January 6th for a moment too, right, I see that as a kind of the bigger, like a, it's a bigger updated version of what happened in Charlottesville in a way. Right now it's like federal and all that kind of stuff. Um, but a lot of the potential, you know, MAGA people and things, people that were like critical of those that were showing up uh, at Charlottesville that day, they kind of got their own <laughs> during the January 6th, right? And, and so much material now too, Jason, has actually been coming out just how many feds that were embedded in there, informants, there were people that were intentionally causing violence, there were breaking windows, there were busting open things, and they were kind of ramping up uh, the, the violence, really, on, on January 6th in order to get the masses to become angry and, and you know, uh, hyped up, basically. And I think it was probably for them, I would assume, it was very hard to to keep that at bay, considering what happened during the, during the election. But what else do you see in terms of overlap? Is it is it good in your view that people are... A lot of at least conservatives are beginning to see that like yeah feds are doing these kinds of things that they're, they're setting people up they're doing sting operations they nestle their way into groups they maybe even set up and create groups at time uh, in order to reflect negatively on what they consider to be i don't know a, pro a problem group right yeah i mean it's, it's just a shame that the broader conservative movement threw us under the bus after charlottesville in particular people like uh, alex jones i can think of but, um, you know, they and a lot of people who were even at the rally threw us under the bus and they said that we had bad optics and how, you know, you should have known. But there's no way that anybody could have known that they would have done what they did. I mean, historically, there has always been a right for even unpopular dissidents to protest in the public square and the police keep the sides separated yeah for them to spring this kind of trap onto uh, legal protesters was pretty uh unprecedented and i think a lot of the people who threw us under the bus and were thro throwing all these conspiracy theories oh they got off the bus the same bus as the antifa and blah 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 you know they really missed an opportunity to learn from us because I mean, a lot of us made mistakes. I made m mistakes myself, uh, but we've learned from those and we could have shared that with people. Right. Uh, what they did 
on January 6th, uh, in some ways was was very similar with the, you know, in Charlottesville, the police stood down and uh, they allowed the Antifa to attack people. In some cases, people fought back and then were prosecuted viciously while the uh, Antifa weren't charged at all. Yeah. Uh, and then on January 6th, you know, you had uh, some people, like you were saying, some of whom were uh, federal agents that were committing violent acts, breaking windows and so forth. And then you had other people who the police just opened the door for and let in. And you can obviously understand why people would think that it was totally okay for them to do that. And yet they're prosecuting these people at uh, record levels, hundreds of people, many of whom who are detained in conditions that uh, we would normally consider to be like second world or third world, um, not given bail, not given proper treatment, being held, detained for nonviolent offenses. So it's easy to see the the police being used uh, as pawns, basically, to to lure uh, right-wing protesters into these kinds of entrapments. You know, there's been discussions, a broader discussion, and and especially happened, you know, after 9-11, there was a lot of uh, you know, FBI, uh, you know, operations basically trying to entrap like young, you know, Muslim men and things like that. When that when that was the big issue, and of course we had a lot of the dr- draconian measures coming in after 9/11 too, such as the Patriot Act and the before that we had uh, the Project for the New American Century and these kinds of things, right? But it, it, somewhere along the line, it, it it shifted and it shifted away from Muslims being the big uh, bad boogeyman to basically uh, white right wingers, right, conservatives uh, in America. They're, they're the problem now. They're the terrorists, right? And the FBI have, of course continued and ramped up I'd say the many of these operations where they try to entrap young, you know young men they try to uh, instigate violence they're trying to get them to do certain things and the question is too Jason how much of the supposed you know violence that we've seen actually at all would be taking place if it wasn't for intelligence services butting in and and basically instigating and drawing this out and, and and at the time that it happened to the muslims it was kind of this in the media at least it was a little bit of this soul searching there was like is this really right to do this and should they should they, should they be allowed to do these kinds of things i was hoping that it w- there would be a thorough examination of that tactic by federal law enforcement that that it should be in my view illegal to do these kinds of things and i've i've not heard anything about that uh, but i think if january 6th should bring something good of it, good out of it. That would be one of the things. What do you think? Yeah, I think you're spot on with the comparison to what happened with the Muslims during uh, the war on terror. I think once the the, the publicity and the money gets pumped into these uh, counterterrorism uh, research operations, including in the universities, people are looking for a problem even where one doesn't exist. And sometimes they have to create it. And regardless of what you think of, you know, there were actual legitimate terrorists attacked by Muslims during the war on terror that were vicious and bloody. But, you know, there is a concept known as low base rate in the actual research literature. That is, you know, a very small percentage of the people who subscribed even to the radical Muslim ideology uh, were violent people. And the, the reason that those kinds of terms and that kind of thinking is out there is because there were people who, uh, you know, because they're Muslims, many of whom were non-white, would step in and say, well, these are human beings, too. Maybe we need to think about this and, and not allow them all to be stereotyped and have their civil rights violated. But we don't see that same type of research uh, being conducted on white nationalists no, who no. I would say also have a low base rate. I mean, come on, how many people out there are advocating for white identity issues, white nationalists or not, and how many 
people are committing terror attacks, a tiny, tiny amount. And yet you have people like Merritt Garland going out there and comparing all white people, uh, all white nationalists to domestic terrorists. Yeah. They're conflating radical ideas with violence, which is wrong. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. No, uh, the, the the stage is set, so to speak. They know what they're doing here. They're trying to rope in. I mean, we've seen articles like this again, whether even if people are today Trump supporters or not or, or don't support Trump or whatever, for, from from their perspective, as I feel, they see that the people who voted for Trump both in 2016, but also in 2020 as a, as a big problem group. Right. We've seen articles like what do we do about the 70 million or 74 million, how, however many it actually was now in 2020. Right. But uh, that they're and I mean that's basically like 50% of the voter base almost right that they're trying to rope in and say that your ideas are dangerous your ideas are, are uh, t equates to terrorism now like this is any this is an insane strategy that will do nothing else but to tear the country apart but uh, as I saw you were tweeting about this too maybe that's a good idea <laughs> maybe maybe separation to a certain degree uh, secession uh, is one way out of this because this seems like a, a, a just a gordian knot i don't know how you're going to solve this you have people on both ends that that hate hate each other and they're unwilling to listen to each other too jason yeah, I mean, look, the left hates the right so much. Why not just let them peacefully secede? Why do we need to make a big deal about it? You know, they have their vision of the world, you know, and we have ours. Uh, we should go our separate ways. Uh, I think that anybody should look at what's going on in this country right now and have some major alarms going off. I mean, when you see things like the government going to social media and saying, we want these posts taken down, that's Soviet Bolshevik style yeah. censorship. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. The, uh, I was just looking at some of the material too. Uh, the, uh, the disinformation doesn't, and look at also as well, how, how it just, and, and this was, was one of the things that I was talking about, you know, way back, way back then in 2015, 16, that like the 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 corridor, if you will, of ex, of, of accepted opinion will just narrow and narrow, or if you will, the, they will expand what's considered to be dangerous material. Now it's like, if you don't trust the people uh, who are uh, selling us this uh, the, the the vaccine, for example, you're you're almost a terrorist now, right? You're if you don't believe in this, if you don't accept it and take it. You're basically, you know, killing people. That's how insane it's gotten. And and more and more of these topics are being uh, thrown under the, under the bus, so to speak. And there's fewer and fewer things that we actually can talk about. And these are like like big, big deal topics like, you know, that it could be life altering. You know what I mean? You can have uh, potential consequences of some of these decisions that might alter your life. You could even actually end up dead from it. But, you know, we're not here to talk about the vaccines. But the point is, it, there's so many things now that it's just like completely off limits and, and instead of moving in direction where more and more becomes you know acceptable to talk about it's more and more that's that's being limited and the establishment of the ruling class is basically driving a strategy that if you counteract us if you are a dissident effectively whatever the topic is you are a terrorist and we're going to treat you as one this is insane jason yeah, I mean, there's a, a very big shift towards left-wing authoritarianism. The left uh, of old that were liberals and believed in free speech and public debate and uh, uh, due process, rights for dissident groups, is a thing of the past. And what you have now is a lot of these journalists who are Antifa activists, and they're very uh, thinly veiling that, and they're pushing for uh, radical censorship authoritarianism. I think what happened in Charlottesville is part of the um, the founding mythology of this new censorship 
censorship regime and this push to identify rural uh, blue collar white people, Trump supporters as the new domestic terrorists. Yeah. And uh, that's part of why I think that it, these court cases are so important is because we have a chance, even though this thing was four years ago, to go back and if we can beat them right at the very beginning where this thing started, I think it'll humiliate them and uh, start to unravel the whole yarn. Now, going back to Charlottesville again, if you if you would have done it today with what you all the things, you know, would you have, let's say, uh, limited it to certain uh, groups or people or, or like an approved checklist? Because, again, the, of course, that's just and, and again, it's, I'm not blaming you for that, but I'm just saying that was probably kind of evident part of the issue that anybody could show up, which we which we didn't know. And I think someone in chat pointed out, too, by the way, the guy with the, the swastika flag was never docked. We never found out really who that was. While some people that were just like in an obscure picture somewhere, you know, that the Reuters or AP took, had their whole life destroyed just because they showed up and protesting the, the removal of the statue that day, which is crazy. But would you have done it differently uh, if you would have done it today? Uh, yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I, I put so much into the event uh, being allowed to be controversial, uh, you know, which added sort of a unique chaos energy to it that made it interesting. Uh, but so much of the order and stability of the event was predicated on uh, me having a permit, winning that uh, case in federal court and, you know, having the police enforce the safety of the event. It was uh, beyond my wildest imagination that the police would be uh, the most uh, chaotic and, and disruptive element of the uh, entire situation. Uh, but, you know, there was so much distrust amongst the participants and the speakers and and so many chaotic personalities involved in that too uh right. i i was just trying to have a spectacle you know to be an interesting uh speech event but um for anybody that was thinking about doing a speech event in the future i would definitely uh focus less on you know trying to find internet celebrities necessarily and uh focus more on your your group of friends, you know, who are okay with the idea of doing public protest and, and are insulated from some of the, the pressures and blowback that comes with that. Find people that you can trust because it's important that people aren't making you look bad, that, that you're with people who can show restraint because uh, more than anything else, you have to understand that you have to be nonviolent uh, yeah. and you have to, um, you have to speak uh, about uh, standing up for white people. You don't need to be getting into all this stuff about, you know, uh, other groups. It's you need to focus on a positive message. And um, yeah, and, and and so many people were uh, distrusting each other and, and the egos were out of control, trying to grab the spotlight. I didn't even know that the Antifa were outside of the venue blocking the entrance. I didn't know that the police stood down. That was just a very nasty surprise that I had to run into that day. Yeah, exactly. Here's an NPR article I'm showing on the screen here. But for those podcast audience joining us later on here, it says, What went wrong in Charlottesville? Almost everything says report, right? So they, they reference some of these things independent. Was this the, um, let me see here, the city commission, the report which was prepared by Timothy Heapy, is that how I pronounce it? Uh, a former yeah. U.S. attorney in Virginia. Uh, in conducting the investigation, Heapy said the team poured through hundreds and uh, thousands of documents, interviewed hundreds of witnesses, and reviewed countless hours of video and audio. The resulting 220-page report is detailed record of the chaos and conflict that unspooled, is that the word, uh, in Virginia 
uh, in the Virginia town, uh, College town. It is unsparingly unspar- in identifying the errors authorities made that day in the preceding um, and sorry in the preceding months. Is that? Let me click in on that real quick. See if I recognize the. Oh, that's taken down. Oh, that's a shame. Okay, there we go. Was that the? Um, the I remember one of the reports, and this probably that this one then. But they were even talking about if we go over to. Well, uh, the, the car accident, right, that happened after the event uh, w- was closed off, right, that the, the were, they were questioning in the report why certain roads had been blocked off. And there was like a lot of inconsistencies with that. I'm not sure if you want to you know, address that or talk about that at all. Yeah, it's just a shame. You know, I think that uh, no one would have died at the event if the police had done their jobs. I, th- this silly uh game that they thought they were going to get into if you can just stand down and allow the protesters to be attacked it's not a game and i think they found that out with regards to the the car situation you know there was supposed to be uh barricades closing that street off and uh there was a police officer who was supposed to be guarding that um that street and she abandoned her post i mean the police just were not enforced the way they needed to be there i mean that that um that police chief and the city manager of Charlottesville, who I'm suing in a separate lawsuit, um, you know, they had the authority to bring in the National Guard and they didn't do it until it was too late, until somebody had already died. Uh, they they had uh, they had promised me so much. They promised me they were going to have uh, uh, the, I think it was like eight squadrons of police officers, police embedded throughout the uh, the event, you know, uh, de-escalating and arresting, arresting violent actors. Um, they said they were going to have maybe like 800 police officers in the back of the park. Uh, so many things were promised and not delivered. Um, and then finally, you know, th- there was uneven enforcement of the uh, unlawful assembly and the state of emergency because, they, you know, the right wing people, they left immediately. And I did my best to try and get people out of the area of the park. But the uh, the left wing protesters, you know, the communists and uh, socialists and so forth, they were allowed to just roam freely. And uh, it, it created a very, very volatile situation. Yeah, and I'm showing some of the drone footage here again for the podcast audience. Be you guys joining us over video, you'll you'll see this here too. That there's no clear line. There was no delineation of like where where <laughs> team team blue versus team red are. Um, it, it was just uh, who's what's going on here. And and again, the, usually at these kinds of things, it's a clear like line. No, you stand. You can be there and counter protest the protesters, but you got to be over here kind of thing. And even from like you know from mi- first minute, it's just completely chaos, and people have to walk through. You know, communists and Antifa people, you know, the, the, the right wingers have to walk through uh, commies and, and stuff like that, Antifa, um, pro-Antifa people. And and if, in fact, it's remarkable that it wasn't more violence that, that happened. It was, a, it, I think it was a lot of restraint, especially, and I'm not saying from the left, but from the right wingers. Uh, the only thing in hindsight, I said, basically, you can't you can't defend yourself. <laughs> it's like if you defend yourself, you might be going to jail because you're like you're seen as an aggressor. Right. They were building all these conspiracy uh, cases, too. Right. By going through people's, uh, you know, chat messages and, you know, various forums, people were in and so forth, where basically people were concerned with, like, can we defend? Our, how, how do we defend ourselves if they attack us? What can we go there with? And again, I haven't poured through everything, so I'm not saying. I can't say that someone didn't say, yeah, let's go uh, go there and beat these people up or something like that. But it was this like, uh, the, the, as usual, they're, they're skewing things. They're using legalese and they're squirming their way out of a, a very obvious situation. It, it, remember, the whole 
2016, lead up to the Trump election, we'd seen tremendous violence from the from the far left, right, against against the Trump supporters, against conservatives, against nationalists, and things like this. And so that was a very reasonable position to take. Like, how can we bring a shield, you know what I mean, to or something to you know break uh, or, or block if they're throwing things at us? Can we, you know, what can we do? But then they try to rope in people that is like, no, they came there to with the intent to do violence. Um, should, should we go into a little bit of the court cases now and how you see that and 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 what they've been trying to what they've been trying to do? Um, I mean, t- just give us an overview first of all. How many how many cases are we talking about? What's happened? This is just going. It's been going for years and years now, right? Some of them. Yeah. So uh, a few of the cases have already resolved themselves with settlements and so forth. Uh, the the two main cases that are still out there is the one that's coming up in October, October 25th, and that's Signs v. Kessler. And that's the one we're really defending against. And it is uh, based on what you say. They take uh, messages from a chat room that are talking about self-defense, and then they're trying to construe that it's a conspiracy to commit offensive violence. And so without a doubt, you know, there was an expectation that Antifa was going to attack. And with uh, events in Berkeley, where uh, right-wing protesters had been attacked by Antifa, there are people that, if they're attacked, are going to look forward to being able to fight back against Antifa. But it didn't go anywhere beyond that, you know, like to say um, people are prepared to fight if they get attacked first is not a conspiracy, no matter how that they uh, try to spin that. Uh, And to be clear, this is not a criminal case. Uh, For a civil case, the evidence can be very thin. It can be very weak. And they can put something in a document that says so-and-so conspiracy conspired with so-and-so. And and then that's basically enough to get them past a a motion to dismiss and into trial. Uh, So for instance, you know, the heart of this thing, I mean, just to cut through all the noise, is they're trying to say that the uh, organizers of Charlottesville conspired with James Fields to run over uh, protesters, which is just hogwash. We have um, transcripts uh, under oath from the investigating officers like uh, Steve Young of the Charlottesville Police Department where he's saying they looked for and did not find any evidence on James Fields' phone of um, of conspiracy uh, to kill Heather Heyer or run over protesters. There was not even any communication, period, with any of the organizers. And it wasn't just his phone. The uh, FBI out of Louisville had gone into Fields' home in Ohio, and they took all of his other devices and searched those. And there was absolutely no communication with the organizers whatsoever. I mean, for me, I saw what happened in that street on TV like everybody else did. Uh, I didn't have anything to do with it. And yet there, you have basically some very Uh, rich and politically connected groups that are trying to hurt us with this lawsuit. Uh, It's run, uh, the the lead attorney is a woman named Roberta Kaplan, who um, is a uh, identitarian Jewish lesbian activist who uh, won a Supreme Court case legalizing gay marriage. And that's her claim to fame. And she's just absolutely obsessed with um, white identity activists. Um, and she has a uh, nonprofit called Integrity First for America behind her. Uh, they're funded by some of the, the wealthiest um, tech titans and um, other uh, 
wealthy elite Jewish people that share her um, her view that uh, the the Charlottesville protesters are a grave threat. Um, <clears throat> for instance, uh, they're funded by the co-founder of LinkedIn, Reed Hoffman. He's one of their primary fundraisers. Uh, Reed Hoffman uh, is a major funder of disinformation campaigns like the uh, the uh, disinformation campaign that was run against uh, Judge Roy Moore in Alabama. Uh, they're funded by uh, or, or at least supported by other notable um, uh, Jewish individuals like Natalie Portman and uh, Craig Newmark from Craigslist. And I just want to clarify that I am not an enemy to the Jewish people that these folks are making it out to be far from it. I'm just a guy who was trying to hold a protest uh, for the last four years since this event. I've done my best to try and separate myself from uh, the, the rhetoric that was hostile towards other groups. But nevertheless, you know, these people have uh, whipped up a, a, a frenzy, you know, taking a tiny clip of, you know, on August 11th, when people were protesting and they chanted, you will not replace us, you had maybe five or six people who chanted, Jews will not replace us. And that's their moneymaker, stuff like that, where they can uh, take the, the clips that were filmed by Antifa journalists like Unicorn Riot and uh, uh, pump up the gain and, and put scary music behind it and scare some grandmothers, some Jewish grandmothers out of their retirement savings. And um, and then you have this uh, abomination of a, a case that's against us. Yeah. Yeah, it's been it's been it's been a circus. Right. And uh, and as usual with the media, you just never you never get uh, an, an honest uh, take on these things. There's always an objective. Everything is political. And of course, this is uh, as, <laughs> as far away from them, uh, so to speak, uh, possible ideologically speaking, that they would go. So, and they see this as an opportunity to. Uh, to create this narrative where basically like, yeah, but, you know, right, people are nationalists or they're dangerous, they're violent. And they every time they meet or do things, it always leads to violence and things like this. Why they just look the other way for all the left wing uh, communist uh, activities and, and, and what they're involved in and doing. And again, I mean, if 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 it would have been a the cops, as you said, just return to that point and, and underline that, that if the police would have kept these groups separate, uh, the speeches would have been held. And then, you know, you know, the group could leave and clear out and then, you know, the police lets go the other group or whatever as far as that. Nothing would have happened. Right. It would have been fine. Yeah. It would have been fine. Mostly for the most part. Uh, most likely, I, sh I should say. Right. Um, has there been anything that's come up uh, that you li like during the, the years, uh, I guess, of, you know, go going through the material or as you're involved in these lawsuits that's that's popped up there like you there was a revelation that maybe is a is a key to why things turned out the way they did or something i don't know if there's is there anything like that you want to talk about i don't know we're showing some of this drone footage there in the beginning that wasn't available uh, it was very hard to get that and get it like an overview of of uh you know what actually happened i think a lot of the the journalists on the other side as well uh didn't you know didn't get an opportunity to to uh to film and 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 kind of lay out the the scope of the thing right it, it's if it, if it can be, this is what I'm trying to say. If it can be, if it's as chaotic as possible, then it's much more easy for the media to slice together an image of what happened versus to present what actually happened that day. I mean, if you turn into a news report, you think it was just like murder, like for hours, and <laughs> and then that's it, you know, kind of thing. Uh, when it was like fairly fairly calm, at least at least initially. But anyway, any any big revelations that uh, that come to you over over the years? 
Yeah, I mean, uh, it was mostly calm, and and you can see that when you're watching the drone footage, the uh, the clips that they put together for the news and for the documentaries are supposed to sensationalize the event. And and in reality, what happened was the actual protesters, the permitted protesters, were peacefully gathering, and uh, the Antifa came out, and they uh, started with small acts of violence like throwing rocks and projectiles. And they looked to see if there was going to be any pushback from the police. And when there wasn't, they escalated. If you watch the, the live video feeds all the way through, that's what it is. It's a story about uh, incremental escalation of violence from the left-wing protesters who are watching for the police for a signal of whether they're going to uh, rein it in or not. And they never do. So things just uh, spiral out of control. Um, so a lot of what came out was uh, immediate because of the... Um, the uh the independent review but over the last uh four years i've been uh, dogged in trying to um, get as much additional information out of the charlottesville government as possible through freedom of information act requests and in fact i've uh filed several different uh additional lawsuits against them, some of which I've already won and some of which are pending, uh, seeking additional information. So um, some of the things that I found, uh, for instance, uh, just a few days before the event itself, the, uh, the police chief had sent to the city manager, who is the top the head of the Charlottesville government, an article from Willamette Week about the uh, uh, Portland uh, protest, which was titled as police stand by alt-right and Antifa protesters beat each other bloody, which is very interesting thing, you know, very uh, prescient kind of thing for him to send, um, considering five days later, he was saying, let them fight. It'll make it easier to declare an unlawful assembly. Yeah. Um, there's kernels in the report that I was able to tease out very interesting information. Like the, the report says that the police chief was actually, uh, destroying his text messages, uh, having to do with the rally. So those text messages were never analyzed for the report, which could be even more explosive than anything that's come out so far. And, uh, he, he was, creating phony documents and backdating them to, to make it seem like he'd done preparations, which he hadn't done. So after the fact, I found out, first of all, that that's a, a, that's a uh, misdemeanor offense, which would bar a public official in Virginia from ever holding office again. But of course, no one ever pursued charges like that. But uh, I, I tried to get at those text messages through FOIA requests uh, of the police chief's phone. Then I asked for the text messages from the city manager's phone. And uh, at first, they didn't want to give them to me. Then it, when I filed a lawsuit, they said the phone had been wiped. So that was a major Good. revelation yeah. that wasn't including in the, in the Hafe report. Very funny that the police chief destroyed his text messages. Then the city manager wiped his phone. So after I won that lawsuit, I filed a new lawsuit. When, when, to, when did uh, that conclude, by the way, just for a timeline here? When did that the first lawsuit conclude? That was uh, in 2020. I don't remember okay. the exact month. But, okay, no, uh, it's okay. All right. Just just get an idea of like how long this, we know it's like, you know, the, the legal system takes a long time. It's a long grinding process and stuff like that. But it's just incredible that it just, yeah. Anyway, go, go, go on, Jason. 
So that was pro se. Like we've already spent so much money to defend ourselves against the the big finance lawsuit. We we have our lawsuit that's the offensive one for uh, for free speech and civil rights violations. And so uh, rather than wasting any more money that needed to go towards those operations, I argued those cases myself and I got thousands of documents in emails that the city was withholding from me. And I got this admission that they'd wiped the phone. Uh, then I filed a new lawsuit using the Virginia Public Records Act, basically, which says that they're not supposed to destroy public documents. There's this funny loophole where, you know, they have to have the documents uh, in order to um, respond to your FOIA request. So, for instance, if they just destroyed uh, an incriminating public document, they could legitimately, supposedly, according to their theory, say, uh, oh, sorry, we don't have any documents like that. Bye. So um, the the reason I filed the Public Records Act is to say no. The Public Records Act and the Freedom of Information Act are uh, inextricably intertwined as part of the same body of rights. You know, if the Public Records Act isn't enforced, then uh, then I, how can I uh, enforce my freedom of information rights? So I. I, thanks to a generous uh, donation from uh, attorney Sam Dixon, I was able to get actually the uh, the primary Freedom of Information Act uh, attorney in Virginia. That is uh, Mr. Uh, uh, Andrew Bodo, who's literally written the Virginian Guide to Freedom of Information Act. And so when they saw that we had a real attorney working on it, they got scared and they they changed their story. Then they said, well, we didn't wipe the phone. It was damaged, and we found it in some warehouse now. So now the, the question is, how is this phone damaged? Did they smash it with a hammer? Did they drop it in a toilet? Did they hit it with bleach like Hillary Clinton? Uh, but we're finally getting to the point where we're uh, going to hire a, um, an independent uh, electronic forensics team to look at it and do an analysis of what kind of physical damage was done to this phone and whether these documents, these uh, text messages can finally be recovered. Interesting. Yeah, that's very interesting. Um, hey, there was something I, I was wanted to ask you about, and it has to do with, uh, I forget how many days after it was, but Alex Jones brought you on. And I, and I, it was just a shame it took this. I, and, I, and I know there's a lot of, a lot of people have you know problems with Alex or whatever, but he seemed to have kind of taken this view that just because you uh, were, uh, you know, a Democrat before, this was, this was a big conspiracy uh, by a Democrat, by you to kind of get all these guys roped in and then set them up and all this kind of stuff. And, and he didn't even really let you speak. I was trying to find a copy earlier, but, you know, with all the censorship and stuff, it's actually hard to find. Um, uh, but, but what would you say to that? Like the way he... I mean, from my point of view, it's clear that it's like, yeah, there's, I mean, people are, are come from being leftists all the time and, and they <laughs> open their eyes, they understand things, they shift and they change their political affiliation. They, uh, they realize uh, that the, the other things matter to them, etc. Um, why did he do that, do you think? Why couldn't he just, it, it was like almost he couldn't just accept that it was like, yeah, it was a setup. It was a, mostly a gay op, right? And, and, and that where the pressure should have lied at the time, I think. But he was like he couldn't even see that. What, what, do you, uh, what was your response to, to that whole thing? Yeah, it's, it's a shame. And it really <laughs> hurt me at the time because a lot of the platforms that I'd started to uh, really become known for appearing on, you know, I was a journalist with Daily Caller. I just started out with 
that uh, project. And I'd, I'd appeared on Gavin McInnes's show. I'd appeared on Infowars with Paul Joseph Watson and then uh, Leanne McAdoo. And uh, both the, the Gavin McInnes and uh, and Alex Jones really threw me under the bus the hardest. You know, I guess they they felt like they needed to save their own behinds because of their association with me. But you know, there's uh, of course people can change their ideology. They can go from any one thing to another thing. You know, if they hear a compelling argument or, or just changes in their life as they get older or whatever. But uh, in particular, I mean, for me, I don't really think that I changed that much. It was the world around me that changed during that period uh, preceding Trump's election. Um, there was a, a major change from the left being the party of the, the working class and uh, being for free speech and individual liberty and, and then uh, making this transition to just hating white people. And I was never about that. I mean, I guess that I I, uh, I tolerated uh, reading like uh, Chomsky or Howard Zinn and the like talking about, well, let's relearn the history of the Native Americans and the blacks and so forth. You know, I, I'm open to being empathetic to other groups of people, but I've, I've never really uh, been on board with anti-white hate. So when they started uh, going over the deep end with that stuff, I, I just, you know, I flipped and I've right. always been a free speech guy. Uh, I was against the war in Iraq. Uh, from what I saw, President Trump was also against the war in Iraq. So uh, I think that there was a major uh, switch for a lot of people who uh, went from being uh, uh, Democrats to being Republicans because Trump changed the Republican Party. So uh, that's where I was with that. With uh, Alex Jones, you know, a lot of the things that he said are nonsensical and he's hit me with so many things over the years where I'll tune in. And uh, I think when he started out in that initial interview, he was accusing me of being Jewish, which is uh, funny because, you know, uh, he, I guess at that time he was trying to uh, insinuate that I was a Nazi or something. And yet he's he's got this conspiracy theory about like the Nazi protests being uh, orchestrated by Jews. At other times, he said that uh, I was a Hillary Clinton supporter. Although yeah, I remember that. Clear. Yeah, it's very clear that I was uh, supporting Trump uh, as a candidate yeah. the entire way through. Um, it, it's true that I voted for Democrats at a certain point, but I never supported uh, Hillary Clinton. Right. And then and then he's moved on to like accusing uh, the Charlottesville protesters of being uh, gay theater uh, actors and just uh, totally outrageous things. So he gave me the full uh, Sandy Hook treatment, basically. Uh, that's, uh, that's a shame, yeah. And then, of course, to uh, circle back around to uh, January 6th, that then, uh, then it happened to him, right? Because he was part of that, and now they're trying to rope it. For a while there, at least, I think there are actually lawsuits where they're trying to say that he was the ringleader of it. They they were using some clips out of context where he said, like, yeah, I got the phone from the White House, and they tell, they told me to lead the march, right? Remember? And now they're piecing that together to say, oh, he's he, he uh, instigated the violence, when it's like, well, no, they didn't intend to commit violence. They were just going to march up to, uh, you know, to the Capitol and, pr and legally protest, right? You know, basically shouting outside. Uh, and then all these other gay ops happen. So it, it, it shows you these, uh, you know, 
yeah, I don't know. It's just, I guess, ironic is the is the word uh, choice where it's just like you 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 th you throw someone under the bus and you think you 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 know get away from it or whatever, but then like you're roped up in just a bigger <laughs> a bigger gay op essentially, right? But uh, anyway, what what um what about Heimbach, right? He kind of turned uh, Bolshevik here. Was it was that last year or earlier this year? I forget when it was. Uh, I saw you were tweeting a little bit about uh, him. But what do you make about the the TWD, the the traditional workers' party? Their their um, uh, presence there and so forth. Have you have you uh, speculated about anything? Um, if you know what I mean. Uh, <laughs> after well, that, there's so much uh, that was going on behind the scenes that people don't know about. I had no control over what Heimbach and his group um, and the groups that they marched with were doing. They had split off from me, and you know, ha were were bad mouthing me and all kinds of stuff. Uh, and uh, come to find out, what I've found out, and we're going to present evidence to attest to at this trial in October, is that Heimbach, when he was going through his uh, brief period claiming to be uh, a reformed extremist and uh, anti-racist, uh, you know, was basically bragging about his involvement with the FBI in order to bolster his credentials as somebody who was, you know, okay working with the man, basically, and, and working against the quote-unquote racists. And um, what he was saying essentially is that the FBI bought the the TWP shields that he brought with him. Uh, maybe other people brought other stuff, but he claims that they bought his shields. Uh, he said that he was he didn't even want to go to Charlottesville, but the FBI talked him into going. And <laughs> is that, is that, uh, they is also that so? encouraged him to split off from what I was doing. They told him to go and do his own thing, uh, which really, to me, uh, had the impact of causing more chaos. And, and that that has to be the reason that they decided to do that. And when I see this performance that he did yesterday where, I mean, it almost seems like an actor who's been, uh, you know, given a paycheck or something to, to go and, and say convenient lines, which bolster the, um, uh, the, the war on domestic terror, you know, and he, he's going to go out there. He has no supporters, but he's going to claim that, you know, that people are going to go to the homes of presidents and 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 they know where their children live. It, it just um, reeks to me of somebody who is uh, still under the sway of federal agents. Yeah, exactly. It does. Right. Uh, it's just very suspicious in a way here. There, what was this again? It was a. Uh in dc march for medicare for all is that what it was and he did a speech there he'll be bringing so much needed levity on saturday uh <laughs> the lee camp and then is that a photoshopped is that actually i'm doing a I think, speech i there? think it's a joke yeah it's I gotta think, be right uh, <laughs> so yeah. what's yeah, apparently okay. Heimbach was, you know, they have all these right. Medicare for all uh, rallies and uh, they've got all these uh, celebrities and left wing pundits attending them. And I mean, technically speaking, I think uh, Heimbach is a left wing pundit now. He's very much uh, he, he's a self-described Bolshevik. And so uh, there was a, a, a rally planned in Muncie, Indiana, and the headline speakers were supposed to be Jim Davis, the creator of Garfield and Matt H. Bach. <laughs> Jeez. Oh boy, what a what a what a thing. That's that's funny though. Um okay, so um okay, we've covered some of that. Let, let's see what else there is. We're going to talk about the uh you know, the fundraising, the websites where people can go to help you guys because of course all of these cases and shit like that costs money. Like are there other t back to the cases lawsuits again? Are there other things happening independent of the ones that you're involved in as well that that you're aware of? I think most of 
them have been wrapped up. There was one that was it was a wild uh, concept. You know, most of these lawsuits have been filed in Charlottesville because that's where the proper venue is. There was one that was filed in Ohio and uh, they never actually served me with the lawsuit. And I guess they just gave up and dropped me from the lawsuit. But then they got um, they got some people to settle with them, like TWP itself had, had settled. Um, and the concept for this lawsuit was, I guess, that James Fields is from Ohio and uh, Andrew Anglin's uh, and his father are from Ohio and uh, TWP, I guess, had a branch in Ohio. So they're saying, well, this quote unquote conspiracy was hatched in Ohio. And that's how they got um, their venue for that. And they were able to get some really ridiculous uh, settlements. Like they got, I think, $5,000 after David uh, from David Duke. I mean, David Duke wasn't even a, a speaker at the event. He basically showed up and, you know, said a few things in front of cameras. I don't know how he conspired to do violence with anybody. But the problem uh, with these types of lawsuits are that uh, it's so prohibitively expensive to defend yourself. And, and as important as that is to clear your name, some people are looking at it and they're like, yeah, you know, I'm spending whatever thousands of dollars per month uh, to keep these attorneys retained. And uh, it costs maybe $5,000 in Duke's case to settle out of it. I think I'm just going to pay the $5,000 and be done with it. All right. Interesting. Um, Here's one super chat. I, I, I'll read the other ones later, guys, uh, after we let Jason go here. We have more, a little bit more to, to talk about here. But uh, yeah, Nathaniel Westman says, sorry for the spicy question, but I'm not sure if it's asking me or you. I guess I can ask you first then. Do you think that Richard Spencer is or have ever been a federal informant? Be honest. Uh, do you want to comment on that? <laughs> well, I have no evidence of that at all. Right. So you know, I would only say the Heimbach thing because I have evidence of it. A lot of people put uh, accusations out there, and, but it's kind of a problem that there are so many accusations without any evidence backed up. I have yeah. evidence with the Heimbach thing that we're going to present in court. I have no evidence uh, to that effect with uh, Spencer. Yeah, I think it was, what was it? Uh, it was funny. It was like something, uh, uh, I was with Ralph, was it Ra yeah, Ralph, um, Ethan Ralph had uh, Milo on, on the show at some point. And Milo was going on off and off about how Spencer is a Fed or some something to that effect. And I sent a super chat and asked, well, what's your what's your evidence that he's a, like, I wanted to hear more kind of thing. Right. Uh, and of course, in my view, he didn't provide any good answer. I, I can't even remember what he said, but it was basically, oh, well, basically, I know. So 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 trust me to that effect kind of thing. But then there was something that was like taken <laughs> out of context, like, like, I believe that, like, yeah, I'm certain of like, no, I want to get more information, you dumbass, you know, but anyway, the, yeah, there's a lot of these uh, things flying around. And um, it's just it's just a travesty that, uh, you know, just a bigger picture view here. And then we'll talk about the uh, the websites you have and things like that where people can go. But um, that, you know, people, uh, you know, came from all over the world to to America to enjoy, you know, free speech and you can believe whatever you want to believe and these kinds of things. Right. And even if you look at the uh, United Nations uh, Charter of Human Rights, right, uh, Article 18 and 19, they talk about this thing that you that there should be no interference with you having the beliefs that you want. You should be able to share information. I forget the exact wording, but it's basically no one can come in and tell you, you know, what you should uh, believe or what you what religion, uh, you know, you you want to have or anything like that. Right. And now we live in a time where all of these things have just been thrown out the window, you know, and whether it's coronavirus or it's uh, or if it's so-called 
you know, homegrown, uh, you know, domestic terrorism. That's the boogeyman at the time. Uh, they have used these excuses to just utterly destroy uh, the values that, uh, you know, this country was founded on when it comes to uh, free speech and being able to um, uh, to say what you want to say, believe what you want to believe. Um, is there any coming back from this or is that it, it again, it feels like the country is being torn apart and it's hard to come back from something like this? No, I don't think there's any coming back from it. I think we need to move away and go our separate ways from uh, the left, hopefully with a, a peaceful secession. But uh, yeah, some of these uh, violations of our free speech rights are serious human rights abuse. Um, I mean, we, we, we have a right to say even inane or stupid things, you know, uh, offensive jokes or whatever. But uh, we're not just talking about that. You know, when when a lot of the uh, people in the uh, the right wing will talk about things like the Great Replacement and they'll refer to it as uh, white genocide or they'll talk about uh, a genocide uh, that it might be occurring against white farmers in South Africa. And then you, you see these leftists saying that that should be censored because it's disrespectful to the Holocaust or whatever else like that, like the. the they say that it's a conspiracy theory. Uh, I mean, even if they were right about that, which I don't think that they are, uh, because there is a lot of violence that's being done towards white people. And there is uh, great changes uh, in demographics through immigration that are currently ongoing. That's not a conspiracy. But even if it was a conspiracy, let's say, you have to protect the right of people to say, hey, we're afraid of violence. We're afraid of the threat of genocide against our people because uh, do you really trust the government to, to say, oh, no, uh, don't listen to them. We're not doing a genocide. You know, uh, they're just uh, giving disinformation. Trust us when we censor them. No, that's not going to work. That's a major human rights violation. Yeah, exactly. Uh, no, it is. It is. And, and I th uh, that was was that part of uh, the case kind of that you're uh, involved in uh, one of them right now. Uh, tell us more about that. Um, the um, well, the, the free speech aspect of it is uh, that there was a heckler's veto that was uh, done to the Charlottesville protesters. Uh, what heckler's veto means is basically that the government uses uh, a an anticipated uh, violent reaction from counter protesters to shut down uh, free speech rights in um, in the name of public safety. And that's been constantly ruled to to be uh, illegal. And um, <clears throat> and we're fighting that right now. There's uh, enormous prejudice against us where where uh, precedents that have applied to other people for for uh decades, maybe even centuries in some cases, are being questioned, you know, just because uh, we're unpopular uh, with, you know, the establishment. And uh, there's a lot of rethinking our basic civil liberties among the left right now as they make this uh, shift towards authoritarianism. But yeah. that's why these cases are so important, even though it's been four years since Charlottesville. People, some people might say it's over. Why are we talking about this? Trust me, the major impacts are still happening because this is the, one of the founding myths of the censorship regime. And they're trying to ram through really dangerous uh, press in the court saying anytime you defend yourself that you don't have defense there's no such as defense for uh quote unquote uh nazis or quote unquote racists and um 
and it's just too uh, dangerous. There's too much civil disorder to allow these people to speak, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, what yeah. they want is for people to take their eye off the ball on this stuff. Yeah, they're taking this very, very, very interesting uh, view on this, that basically if you, it's the issue of incitement, right? Where basically, I mean, potentially anybody could be angered by anything that anybody says, right? It's all, that's very uh, subjective, right? It has to do with your what you, what you believe or whatever, right? And it's this impossibility that they're, and it, but it, it, that doesn't stop them. They're, they're moving ahead with this. That basically, like, if, if someone says something which could reflect negatively on somebody or whatever, then that is basically equated to uh, incitement. And that means uh, it could lead to a real uh, world harm. It could lead to violence being done. And therefore, all these people that say things that we disagree with, uh, the, the things that we hate to hear, that should be dubbed hate speech and therefore be silenced and, and shut down. But it's like, again, no functioning society can can operate like that for for very long because again the, it's just going to be broader and broader definitions of this and anybody that that opposes uh, the regime whenever it's uh, shifting its strategy or, or or seeking to do no new draconian things are going to be roped up in, in, into that and that's why it is important for people if they truly are you know free speech advocates if they still believe that people do have rights you know that they must look at cases like this and like the one you're involved in and others as well, especially after January 6th, right? Um, that it, they're going to come for everybody eventually in one way or another. Like if, if you're, you, you have to have total obedience, maybe not even that, there's still no guarantee. Even if you obey everything they do, every uh, thing that they tell you to do and you submit to that, it still doesn't guarantee that they won't come for you at the end of the day. But they're seeking to begin with these outliers, so to speak, because they think that, that that's where the most, um, I guess, support for, for, for censorship lies. Uh, but as usual, Jason, it never ends there. It never stops. And, and if a government, if a ruling class enters onto this path and realizes that this is actually something that's working, we, we can silence our opposition, we can silence unpopular ideas, uh, they, they will never seize on this. They will ne never end on that. They will continue and they will take more and more and more, right? Right. And so the specific issue that's at play in our offensive case against Charlottesville is whether police have a duty to protect protesters from a violent reaction or whether they can just stand down and mill about. And as you can tell, that could have wide-reaching ramifications, not just for the alt-right, but... Uh, for any protesters anywhere, uh, including, you know, milk toast, Republicans, rhinos, whatever, because uh, even they are considered Nazis and are going to have uh, violent um, anti-speech extremists uh, coming to attack their events. So um, what what the deal is, is that there is case law that says police don't have a duty to protect like like it, they don't have a duty to go to somebody's house and, and stop a woman from being murdered by her abusive boyfriend or something like it, it, the family can't then sue the police and say, well, why didn't you come? But the exception that has always been carved out is for the First Amendment, particularly if the police are there. Yeah. You know, so the police can't just stand and watch as a violent mob attacks a speaker and then say and then wait and use that as an excuse to uh, to muzzle the speaker. Um, so the the police in Charlottesville were not just 
uh, across town and we called them up and said, hey, can you come and uh, protect our speech? And they said, no, thanks. They were there watching it happen. And that should have implicated them uh, to have a duty to protect. And that's the issue that we're trying to tease out right here. And that is basically going to have uh, a major, major historical impact, um, you know, if America continues as a country, that is, uh, because forevermore after this case, basically, there's going to be a precedent of either people are going to be scared to leave their homes. They're not going to want to do uh, protests anymore uh, unless they have a popular uh, uh, point of view that's protected by the regime uh, because they you know don't really need the protest. The police right? can entrap them. Whereas if we win, the police are going to have uh, precedent on the book saying, no, you have to show up. You cannot ever do what you did in Charlottesville again. Right. And again, uh, if it is a popular opinion or if it's endorsed by the regime, you don't really need the protest. It's, <laughs> you know, it's like it's represented by the highest halls of power anyways. It, what does it matter? Right. So you need the very point of, of something like the First Amendment or your right to protest uh, is to protect the the uh, opinions that are not popular, right? That's the very very reason for it. Otherwise, what you don't need it, kind of thing, right? But so, um, so t again, tell us, uh, you know, what you what you're what you're doing with the Legal Defense Fund and all that stuff, and we'll talk about the websites where people can go to help uh, you guys out. Uh, but also, do you, what do you feel about this thing then that um, there is no. Do you, obviously you think it's worth it, so I'm not uh, saying that you don't. But it, what do you think about this idea that it, the legal system is also part of this? It's also part of the system, right? It's part of the corruption. Uh, if you try to do something legally, it's very hard to get honest people, honest judges, etc., uh, that actually are looking at uh, objectively at these things as opposed to just being politically motivated. What would you say to that? Well. Um I mean, we've faced substantial challenges in the Charlottesville case. Uh, you know, I've exposed several of the law clerks working with the judge who, um, in some cases, uh, were friends of the plaintiff. Uh, Elizabeth signs. They took a photo where they're saying we're best of friends. I've had, um, you know, other, you know, some of these people who are Charlottesville protesters uh, were some of the uh, most prominent anti-Israel uh, critics you know, in the country. And yet you have uh, clerks working for the judge who represented Israel in major cases, you know, like his career law clerk, uh, Robert DeRise, uh, represented uh, the Israeli Ministry of Defense in a case where uh, the Israeli military boarded a, uh, uh, a flotilla that was full of aid workers bound for Gaza and shot a bunch of people, killed uh, 10 or more people. Uh Another one of the activists who uh, helped the judge when he was ruling on whether to dismiss the case outright uh, was actually in Israel working on um, whatever the, the repatriation uh, trips that they have. And she was posting uh, images of the rally saying we have to stand against these people no matter what. <laughs> so I'm not saying that we're not uh, uh, encountering significant challenges. But if you look at my record that has been uh, silenced by the media in a lot of cases, I won a lot of things right you know in the aftermath of charlottesville i didn't do anything wrong so i've never been charged with a single crime to do with the rally but i was charged with like five different uh crimes you know like bs stuff brought by antifa activists or biased prosecutors but i beat every one of them i beat every one of them i've gone and i've represented myself uh suing antifa activists uh for uh 
for a fighting word statute. I won that. I represented myself in this Freedom of Information Act case. I won that. In our current uh, public records act case, uh, even though that's uh, still being resolved, we've gotten all these admissions about the phone being wiped or damaged or whatever. Uh, I've gotten a um, preliminary order from the judge ordering the city of Charlottesville not to destroy any more of this evidence. Uh, I mean, we are quietly racking up a laundry list of victories. So this is the big enchilada, I think, for people to decide whether or not the legal system still represents us. Because I, I, you know, I know I'm biased here, but we did not do anything wrong in Charlottesville, not criminally, not civilly. And uh, we should win this case by all uh, rights. And I think that um, it, it's going to be a bellwether for for uh, how things are going to be in the country, because but I want to give 100 percent effort. And I and I'm asking for other people's help in helping to get us across that uh, finish line from the financial standpoint, because we have to know we can't have any regrets. We can't uh, allow it to be like, well, we're just going to be OK with um, with uh, commenting on social media until we get deplatformed and then, oh, well. And we also can't allow it to be like the Heimbachs of this world. They're going to make us resort to violence. This is our pathway uh, is to try and beat them in court. And I think we have a damn good chance of winning this in an environment where we are constantly losing because we're represented by fair weather friends and people with weak knees who don't really represent us and give in. We're not going to give in. I'm not going to give in. I've been fighting. I've put, been putting my own money into this for four years. Uh, I've been doing my own research. We have an attorney that is tough and represents our interest. And, um, and we can get a real substantial victory against the activist left with this case. Uh, I mean, we, we're so used to getting uh, vicarious victories uh, like Trump. You know, it, it, his uh, electoral victory felt good, but then he put all these cronies in office and really didn't get much done. This can be our victory, really us, not some vicarious, you know, um, avatar like Trump. Um <clears throat> And so in order to do that, we're up against the substantial challenge of these uh, this integrity first to give you an idea of how much money they have. It's probably uh, 20 million dollars by now. They had nine million dollars as of 2018, which is the last time they released their financials. Um, they put down a deposit, just a deposit of $200,000 uh, for uh, a hotel, like a whole like level of the hotel where they can put their legal team and basically all the most demonic, uh, left-wing, authoritarian, uh, pro-censorship, anti-white people, SPLC, ADL, MSNBC journalists, uh, all of the worst people that you can think of are going to be there and they're going to be like uh, demons about to come out of the gates of hell uh, before the you know the 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 book of revelations or something. And we have a chance to put them back in their hole uh, by defeating them. Uh, we don't need even a we only need a fraction of the money that they have, but it's still a substantial burden because, like I'm saying, uh, just. Me individually, I'm paying thousands of dollars per month, and I do that because this is my mission. 
But uh, we do need some help when it comes to the trial because this is going to be a four-week trial. Uh, they're going to try to make Charlottesville the trial into a propaganda event. And this is your chance to try and uh, 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 and head that off before it's too late. And you're like, wow, this is a big deal. It's going to be a big deal. And, and the way that you can help us prepare is by going to givesendgo.com forward slash UTR, um, or, and you can make a donation there anonymously if you want, or you can put your name on it, whatever is your preference. Uh, that money is not being held and, and you don't know whether it's going to go to the attorney. It is going directly to our attorney, James clinic in the clinic, uh, law firm. And he gets that immediately. They send the money. The Gifts and Go is a Christian fundraising site that has been very strong, uh, raising money for dissonance. Um, it, it raises money for little girls with cancer, but it also raises money for uh, Proud Boys and uh, January 6th protesters. And, and now yeah, I've seen it attacked heavily, Jason, heavily attacked in the media for, uh, again, for just enabling people to raise funds for their cases. It's it's insane uh, the, 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 how dirty and the, the tricks that they pull to, to basically... Uh, if there ever was a, like a David versus Goliath kind of you know scenario, that would be that would be something like this, right? Because you have the biggest, most well-funded uh, you know machines when it comes to uh, fighting back against people, both after Charlottesville, but also after January sixth. They don't want these people at all to be able to defend defend themselves. They just want to straight to jail and just like you know rot in solitary confinement for uh, twenty years or something like that. that. That's how nuts it is. That's exactly right. And when we we're so lucky to have this website and that's why people should take advantage of this, you know, like right now in case something changes because you never know what's going to happen tomorrow. But uh, when we first put up this website, you know, the uh, the opposition integrity first and their executive director, uh, Amy Spitalnik, were tweeting about it. How is how horrible it is that we had a fundraising site yeah. and and basically creating fake disinfo themselves. She was. Um, claiming that uh, our greatest supporter, our greatest supporter was at 1480, uh, 14HH, which she said means the 14 words plus Heil Hitler. But if you actually clicked on who that Twitter user is, and anybody can go to it themselves, at 14HH, it's 14 holy helpers, a Catholic death ministry <laughs> for children. And so like she's totally making up disinfo um, and and she had reporters that were responding to her like uh, Will Carlos from USA Today right out in the open on her Twitter feed. Uh, and he was saying, show it to me. Right. But so so far, you know, I mean, it's been a few weeks since that and they haven't been able to deplatform us. Good. And uh, we've been steadily raising the funds that we need for this case. Perfect. Yeah. Ima imagine my shock. They're seeing uh, uh, Nazis and, and Hitler things <laughs> everywhere and everything is a code. And a, yeah. Wow. Crazy. Uh, all right. So it's the Charlottesville Legal Defense Fund. It's uh, givesendgo.com forward slash UTR. And then you set up, I guess, a website that it gives a little bit more. Uh, info as well. Uh, yes, give we us have that URL. Uh, our own website, which is uh, utrdefense.org. And with that website, you can find a variety of options to donate, not just to give Singo. You can send through Venmo, Cash App. There's a Bitcoin address. There's also the physical mailing address for our attorney's law firm if you want to uh, mail a check or cash. And that's uh, um, UTR like unite the right utrdefense.org 
All right, very good. And and again, clarified. This was the um, so this is the kind of offensive lawsuit, right? Is is there any de uh, like defensive lawsuit still uh, happening, as far as you know? Well, this is the defensive lawsuit. We're fighting against this uh, major uh, $20 million or whatever. Multi, okay, ap apologies. Uh, That's my fault. I thought it was offensive. Okay, never mind. Uh, okay. The uh, offensive case is still ongoing, but that is on appeal in the Fourth Circuit Court. Okay, gotcha. Basically, the, the precedent is on our side. We should win that, but we have to win the defensive case first. If, gotcha. we, if we beat the, de the defensive case, we're going to win the offensive case. All right. Very good. All right, guys. So that's the website right there. Uh, if you want to help out, definitely check it out. Uh, Givesandgo.com slash UTR. Or if you want to go to the website, and again, a, a couple of different options right there in the top right-hand side corner, utrdefense.org. Uh, and I have them <clears throat> down in the lower third as well under Jason's name. Let me pull that up real quick so you guys can see. What else, uh, Jason, is worth talking about here right at the end before we wrap up? Um, well, pers anything personally you want to talk about how things have, have changed for you or how it's been like I, I, again if you don't want to share any of that that's totally fine but uh, anything left here we should uh, go over before we wrap up well there's so much that i can't talk about about my how my life has been over the last four years and and it's probably better that there is so much uh misinformation you know like my wikipedia profile is totally fake uh, all you know psyop yeah me yeah uh and and that everybody knows they're run by left-wing yes. people but yes. you know that that's given me a little bit of space to try and reestablish my life because i was just uh shattered after the event but i think uh, i would like to give people a little bit of hope um you know as far as for people who are doxxed i wasn't doxxed but i had the the full weight of the media and their disinformation campaign coming after me but uh i I took that pressure that was on me and I knew that I either had to be strong and fight like I'd never fought before and do better in my life than I'd ever done before or just collapse and maybe become a homeless person or a drug addict or something and, and drown my sorrows. And that's not what I'm interested in. I'm not interested in giving up this fight. Uh, somebody had to uh, hold the line and I want to be the person to do it. These, uh, these left-wing... Uh, sickos you know they've made me stronger than i've ever ever been in my life and i'm very proud of that and hopefully i can share that story which might be useful to people yeah. one day after this is all over yeah no but definitely yeah. it's not the end of your life you no. you have to be strong you have to be creative yeah exactly and again i mean keep in mind of again the people that are attacking you on this level and why why would anybody care what these people think right they're <laughs> they're the worst of the worst right completely just uh uh you know at, at every turn it's just it's lies and it's propaganda it's subversive it's uh underhanded tactics and you know what i mean it, it's like there, it's nothing uh should get you down about if there's someone in the establishment that are like you know, throwing shade your way. I'd say actually the opposite, that if they do attack you, that means you're over the target and actually means something good. It means you're doing you're doing the right thing, pushing back against this. Because if these people if these people get their way, uh that that'd be it. I mean <laughs> that'd be it. Uh that that imprison everyone that they uh disagree with and, and people that they think are repulsive or something. I mean that that go after them, they put them in you know gitmo type camps or something. Um, but yeah, no, it's good to see you uh, still going strong and, uh, and and fighting back and pushing back against this. And 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 as you said, you know, kind of what doesn't what doesn't kill you do, uh, needs to make you stronger and, and stuff like that. So that's very good. Uh, so one w once more here, givesendgo.com slash utr down in the lower third right there. You have 
the websites, uchardefense.org as well. Um, thank you, Jason. Appreciate your time. Uh, good luck with the case. Please keep me updated and uh, we can have you back if there's updates or something like that too. Absolutely. And thank you so much for having me on. We really appreciate it. Awesome. Thank you, Jason. Take care. All right, there we go, folks. Thank you to Jason for joining us. We're going to wrap up here shortly. I just wanted to let you know that we are doing a no-go zone today as well. Um, we will. It will be a little bit delayed, though. What are we here? We're uh, almost uh, 30 minutes away from uh, normal start time. I, I am going to need a couple of hours uh, to just uh, collect some stuff. Uh, but So most likely, what, 8, 8 p.m. Eastern? Something like that, uh, I would assume. Uh, I'll, I'll keep you guys updated. Uh, might even take longer than that, but I might have built the startup sooner as well. We might not do a, a full two-hour one, but but I do have some uh, important stories to talk about. So I will do that. Uh, but yeah, otherwise, uh, help the guys out if you feel that this is a, a worthy cause, and I think it is. I think that uh, it's good that people are fighting back against this and these organizations that have targeted people and people have gotten their lives ruined in the wake of this. Uh, people have uh, killed themselves or committed suicide uh, after all the pressure that they were uh, subjected to after all the media campaigns and all that uh, stuff that we talked about, right? So uh, websites, givesandgo.com slash UTR, head on over there. And then, of course, again, the main website uh, that Jason set up here is utrdefense.org. Uh, check those out. If you feel inclined, definitely help out. And uh, it's uh, for a good cause, I believe. All right, boys and girls, uh, thank you so much again for joining us here live. Uh, we will be back here shortly then, uh, or probably in a couple of hours or so. Uh, I'll give you guys a little ping on our Telegram, our Twitter, and our Gab account a um, little bit before we go live with the no-go zone. But uh, I thank you for your time. Uh, pleasure. Actually, let me do, there was a couple of uh, other Super Chats. Let me just do those real quick here. Uh, two more. Imminent Rain. Promethean hail so hard. Thank you. Imminent Rain. Good to see you. Uh, thank you for joining us. Niflheim as well with uh, a comment. Gutmus. Gutmus. It's um, uh, it's, a, it's slang in Gothenburg, uh, where I'm from, for, uh, for, for, for good stuff. It literally means uh, good mashed potatoes. There you go. It's actually a, a true, true story. Gutmus. All right, boys and girls. We'll see you guys in a little bit. Let me find my outro here. Thank you for watching. We'll see you soon. Take care. Do you love red eyes? Want more? Get access to exclusive material by signing up for a red eyes membership. You'll be able to watch Weekend Warrior, our flagship show, the second hour of interviews and other special feature videos only for subscribers. Were you a member and we lost you along the way? Renew! We love and appreciate you guys and gals and cannot do this without you. Help us be a sane voice, a lighthouse in the sea of insanity. As times get tougher, as people are searching for answers, they're going to need content like red ice. A little of all your support can go a long way. Thank you.